Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch. I'm excited that you're joining me today. I have an interview for you with Rich Depra. And Rich is an expert on all things talent assessment, talent development. I've been working in this industry for a long time and just finished a new research project on HIPO programs. And so I'm excited to have him on. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Andy. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, really good to have you here. You know, we worked together for several years at BTS and we never worked directly together. I always knew of you and admired you and knew you were doing some great work. And uh, so it's cool to get this opportunity to interview you now. And um, I'd love to start with some of your background and because uh, I know you worked in some large companies. I know you spent time in consulting before you, quote, retired and then started research <laughs> projects. So tell me more about how you got to where you are today. Well, this could be a long story, but I'll try to protract it a, a bit for you. Okay. Actually, after I got my bachelor's degree, I spent uh, four years as an officer in the Marine Corps, came out, uh, went to graduate school, got a PhD in psychology, focused on learning and motivation. So uh got that from the University of Pittsburgh. I stuck around there and taught for a while. And at that time, I ran into... Bill Byam, who's the father or founder of Development Dimensions. And he and I chatted one day. He was telling me about his plans to move DDI or establish DDI. And the next thing he knew, he called me and said, could you uh, write a few assessment exercises for you? Andy, I couldn't spell assessment, but I said, <laughs> sure, I'd be happy to. Nice. And uh, we established a relationship. The next thing you know, uh, I was leaving the university to join, uh, which was a fledgling four-person development dimensions. And now it's probably, I don't know, 200 million uh, annually, pretty significant. So that's where I got started in the assessment business. I went from uh, DDI to uh, actually Pitney Bowes up in uh, here in Stanford, Connecticut, a number of roles, ended as the head of talent after doing some uh, generalist work. Went from there to running the Aetna Institute in uh, Hartford at the Aetna organization. And then finally, uh, Liberty Mutual, where I was the head of uh, 
basically all things talent and learning. It was pretty neat uh, role at the time. And that's where I ran into uh, BTS. We hired BTS to do a program for our top 100. They simulated Liberty, which is tough because insurance companies are complex. They had personal markets, commercial markets. BTS did a great job. Program was terrific. My observation was to, uh, at the time, the CEO of uh, BTS USA, these are great from a discovery learning standpoint, but they'd be also extraordinarily powerful from an assessment standpoint. He said, well, we're not, that's not our core capability, and I wasn't looking for a job. But uh, a few years later, he said, why don't you come to when I was getting ready to retire, actually, real retirement or semi-real retirement. Uh, <laughs> right. said, why don't you come to work for us, see if you can start an assessment practice. Uh, if you can do it in a year, great. If you can't, we'll leave friends. 11 years later, hmm. you know the story as well as I do. Yeah, still here. And that's fantastic. And of course, uh, you brought in BTS to build the business simulation for that uh, leadership program. And, uh, you know, I worked seven years at BTS. And of course, they're a big partner of mine. I'm still building and running business simulations. But I remember during that time, my background before consulting was in insurance as well. I worked at Farmers Insurance. Oh. And uh, so I came in and got involved with some, with some insurance clients and had some experience with that Liberty Mutual simulation. It was either you know, being reused or being used as the foundation for other insurance simulations because it was so well created, obviously, with a great internal team at Liberty Mutual, led by you. Well, actually, led by me knowing what I wanted, but the intern, you're absolutely right. The team was terrific. And, you know, it's, as speaking as an external person that is internal to a business, you're taking a big chance when you bring a company in to do something as complex as that at that high level. And that BTS team came in and they knew Liberty Mutual inside not. And you know that's the way it is with every client. Mm -hmm. Not to make this an advertisement for BTS, but they do great work. No, I do that sometimes. And I was telling somebody the other day, I pride myself and I know BTS does as well, that we come into a client and they say, oh, we're we're complex. Nobody understands us. And then by the time we're done, we understand them better than than they do. (laughs) And uh, speaking of the advertisement of BTS, if anybody's interested in learning more working with BTS, make sure you reach out to me. I'd be happy to set something up. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. But anyway, let's get back to you, Rich, because you spent you know, 11 years at BTS running the assessment practice, really digging into working with clients on assessment. Uh, maybe before we get to the research project, I hate to simplify 11 years, but what would you say is maybe the biggest challenge that you saw companies dealing with from an assessment perspective that you were trying to help them solve? 
Well, the answer to that question will lead us right into our topic for today because oh, I think the biggest challenge they had, and you went through Five Truths and a Lie with Richard Hodge a few weeks ago in terms yep. of that, that research, which was the impetus for what I'm going to talk about later. The whole idea of identifying high potentials and developing them in a constructive, accelerated kind of way, I think is their biggest challenge. There were so many times that we'd go and we'd do high potential programs for clients. You'd go in there. These people were already identified. And after two days, you knew that, say, 20, 25% of them were not capable of really exceeding expectations at the next level. Let's put it that way. It became very clear. And so the company is sort of spinning its wheels at that point in time. They're investing in people. They're establishing expectations in people that essentially aren't going to be met either by the company or the individual. So that's the big challenge. It still exists. That's one of the reasons we got into the high potential area in this center of excellence. And so that basically is the challenge. Was the challenge is the challenge. Yeah, and that led to the research project that you got into recently with this, uh, with the center of excellence and really decoding this high potential mystery. So tell me more about that research. How did that come about? And uh, let's talk about some of the things you found. Well, the impetus for it was Richard Hodge and Jeannie Taylor's work on when they interviewed the 50 plus HR execs. And so we were working with one another. And as they were doing the interviews, they'd sit down and tell me about what they were doing in their findings. And of course, one of the initial findings was that people organizations were not defining well nor measuring well what potential looked like. And so that was an issue that they were discussing one afternoon. And I said, well, you know, I have a point of view on this that has developed over the years. I've taken notes, but I've never put it into writing or perspective in any kind of formal way. So uh, Richard said, well, let's hear it. And so I went through it with them at a 30,000 foot level. They thought it uh, had some merit and said, why don't you write it up? So initially, I wrote it up in three pages. And we all looked at it and said, hey, this makes sense. And then we looked, I wrote it up again in maybe 12 pages. And then we got some experts to give us a perspective. And it evolved into the white paper that uh, that you're familiar with. Got it. That makes sense. And you know, it's, it's great because a lot of people proactively start research projects because they feel like they want to. And you got pulled into this because there was definitely a demand. There was a need. You know, people were looking for this, asking for this. I was curious what the research tells us about what's working and what's not working. And maybe the setup for that is that I think somewhere in there I saw that 75% of companies are still using past and current performance, which is not surprising to define their hypos and who goes into these programs. And you were looking at whether that's actually useful or not. Well, it's definitely useful, but it's useful, we think, only as a screening tool. In other words, you have to be a high performer to have credibility. In other words, you need a track record of success in order to have credibility with your colleagues when and if you're promoted, right? You can't say, well, look, Andy was just promoted, but you know, he was a failure at XYZ job. Now he's in this role. So there's no sense to that, if you will. But we believe that performance is a precursor. It's table stakes to identifing high potential. So if you, you screen on the basis of performance, 
people's demonstration of values, their mobility, their interest in larger role, because not everyone is, you can screen those very objective bases and then move into what would be more predictive of high performance as or in high potential. Got it. So what did you find from this research? What does the research tell us about what's working and what's not working? Well, first of all, the research is qualitative research. Let's make sure we have that in perspective. Okay. The reason I wrote this is because it, it really is a result of probably 30 years plus looking at this situation, working with practitioners in discussing high potentials and what discriminates high-performing high potentials from those who will break the plane of adequacy. Let's put it that way. And so it's really a result of a lot of assessment discussions with fellow assessors, particularly with general managers, say, who were in the company that you're assessing for, who provide a real relevant perspective on what potential looks like, coaches, and just a whole myriad of opportunities to look at high potential people and determine what discriminates amongst them. So the research is really more qualitative. We're moving this whole thing, this formula we've come up with, into much more of a quantitative research base. Okay, great. So this is the start. So it all started with sort of aggregating our observations over the years as assessors, as coaches, or people who who develop high potential programs. So that's the impetus for it. Got it. Okay. And so what have you found so far? What's been the standout findings? Well, the standout findings is what we're postulating, so to speak. And that is potential is really a function of five things. Business acumen, people acumen, self-awareness, a motivation for achievement at a higher level, in other words, sort of an aspirational mindset, and what we call an X factor. Okay, I mean, think about people who are successful that you know at, Mm -hmm. say, at the general manager level or any executive level. Yeah. Do they have strong business acumen? In other words, do they understand the business? Do they make good decisions? They make those decisions quickly. Right. Do they have good people acumen? Do they make good people skills? Do, do they understand at that level, not just do they have good interaction, but do they understand people processes? Do they understand talent development, how important it is from a strategic standpoint? So those two factors just pop out to you. You know who has those and who doesn't. And then there's a degree of self-awareness. For you to get somewhere, you have to know your strengths, you have to know your weaknesses, you have to compensate for them, and you have to do something about it. And finally, you have to be motivated to want to lead. So those are the four key factors, two of which are capability-based, that is people acumen and business acumen. Those are predicated on capability. And we break those down into sub-factors, five of them. But we, our whole idea is to keep this simple. One of the reasons we did this was to try to get away from the complexity, the level of abstraction, if you will, of current models, of the fact that they don't relate to the business world as directly as they should. So yeah. you have business acumen, you have people acumen, you have self-awareness, aspirational mindset. And then we threw in an extra factor that said, Every organization has something that makes them different 
or something that they're focusing on at a given time that you need to have the capability to address, reinforce, take to the next level. And so we have an X factor. We put those five factors into a formula. The X factor, by the way, just to give an example, we worked with a pharma company for years in their high potential program. We're using competencies from their competency model. And one year we went in and they had changed their strategy. So we went in, they were explaining the strategic change to us. And they said, we need to add cross-functional collaboration because they broke into business units. And if the people don't demonstrate this ability to collaborate across businesses, across functions, they're going to fail. So that's an example of the X factor. There's another factor, if I can find it here and remember, digital capability was a factor. I mean, a data-driven company in the first place, but this need for to be comfortable with technology and a technology-intensive business, if you will, and their products was the X factor for them. So it's a pretty simple formula. People acumen, business acumen, self-awareness, and the motivational motivation for achievement and that X factor. Can you tell me how do you, it's interesting for me, this is the third time in three days, every single day this week, I've been involved in some type of interviews and had uh, this concept of self-awareness come up as an important factor. And I feel like people might interpret that different ways. And I was curious, how did you define self-awareness and uh, particularly with regard to, you know, leaders, executives in companies? Very simply, I'll get it here in a moment for you, since I don't have it right off the top of my head or I would misquote myself probably. That's okay. And one of my colleagues would call me to task for that. Uh, Very simply, the capacity for recognition of one's own strengths and limitations resulting in behavior change. In other words, knowing what your strengths are, knowing what the limitations are, and being able to change that, and actually being able to do something about it. You always hear about people knowing their strengths, and they build the staff around supporting their weaknesses. And frankly, the self-awareness was an easy one. I mean, that's in all of the literature that relates to, uh, not all of the literature, but it's, it's a significant factor that relates to identification of high potentials. Mm, okay, great. So that's obviously very important and one that a lot of people are already paying attention to. So how can people in talent development or executives uh, use this in the hypo identification process? Well, again, if we look at what people do now, they use performance, they use all a myriad of cognitive psychological uh, tests and other assessment instruments. We firmly believe that you can't measure one's ability to do something at the next level without putting them in the next level. In other words, to me, it's all about simulation. You have to understand, I come in with a strong bias about the importance and impact of simulating the environment and the whole behavioral approach that it represents. Actually, an interesting sidelight, or maybe not so interesting, you can't really see predicted their effectiveness at the next level again as I, unless you see them there. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was a, a, an officer at Officer Candidate School, and Officer Candidate School is all about determining one's potential to be an officer, right? And so at the time, we put them through what I 
later found were simulations that existed in some of the early studies of assessment by some of the names in the field. And we were putting them through these just about impossible exercises to determine their leadership behavior. So you have to simulate in order to determine that. So what we're suggesting is that part of you can screen based on performance values, et cetera, and comprehensive assessment-based set of instruments uh, that are behavioral and put them in the role that you're looking at them for is the key to success. So you said the word simulate, and I know you know you mentioned your time in the Marine Corps and the military does a really great job of this and some businesses are investing in simulations. And we started by talking about how we'd both worked with simulations, you on the client side and the provider side to help teach people or get people aligned to a strategy. But what you're saying is you can also really use them to assess and see how will someone act in certain situations to truly predict how they will act in those situations later when they're in the real job. Exactly. If I can use an example, and we all talk about the sales rep, we make them a sales manager and they're not successful. Richard used the great engineer, you make him the engineering manager. You move the second middle manager to executive, can't do it. In one of the situations where we were putting individuals, high potential individuals through a one-day simulation, a business simulation with supplementary role plays to get the deeper look at the people acumen, if you will. We were putting them through this simulation as an individual. So they had to come in with a strategy. We gave them a, that you're familiar with, a case study, but it's a it's an annual report on steroids, as you know. And based on that information, they were to come up with a strategy, their goals, and being able able to present that to us. Well, woman, it was a woman, I believe in this case, came in and she was so enthusiastic about the process, she was so enthusiastic about her role, came in, presented her strategy, and immediately, and she was a high performer, very restricted perspective, restricted on the variables she was using to measure for success and the metrics. And we had one of her colleagues come in, also a a female, so we are politically correct here, but this is exactly the way it happens, who just demonstrated a totally different perspective in terms of scope. And that scope carried through not only in terms of the decisions they made, the understanding of the financials, but in terms of the scope through which or by which they used their people. And so it was an easy distinction and easy to provide feedback to both of them in terms of making this actionable for them. But if you were putting money on the success, the predictive nature of what you saw on the one person versus the other was dramatically different. So you would have to see a lot of progress here on the one side before you would take the chance and put them into a new role. So that's just an example. And I'm sure your listeners all have seen those examples in various contexts. But when you put them in a challenging simulation that's comprehensive, you see it in spades. 
This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working. And a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work plus many more, just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Well, a lot of people listening may not be that familiar with what a simulation like that may look like. So you said two women come into a similar situation. Maybe there's similar levels, but they obviously have a very different mindset uh, an approach to things, and therefore it becomes obvious that one of them has a much bigger chance of success in a more senior role. What does that simulated environment look like that allows you to see that? Well, in the case of the simulated environment that I'm talking about, it was a it was a financial organization that we had developed a simulation for the top level, and so they literally had to come in and, as I said, establish a strategy for their company and then make a myriad of decisions in terms of what part of the business they want to grow, how they're going to grow it, what kind of resources they're going to put against it, how they're going to both market and price their product line and which ones are they going to give importance to. And those are the, the business acumen kinds of decisions. And they were pulled into situations where they had to deal with people issues, people resource issue, people problem issues, and demonstrate capability in the people acumen area, if you will. And so it was three rounds, the strategy, and two rounds of the simulation. It was a good 10-hour day that they went through. And after each of these runs, they were interviewed for all intents by two assessors, one with my kind of background, one with your kind of background in terms of business capability and what they were thinking, what they weighed, why those variables were important, why the people issue implication would be, and as well as the business implications. You got great insight into their thinking they're thinking, though, predicated on their actions that you were able to observe. And when you give them the feedback, you can say, look, you made this decision for this reason, and here's the implications that you may or may not have been aware of, their positive nature or the negative nature. How can you measure the effectiveness of things like this? Is it all qualitative? And, or In other words, you, you said you have two different types of assessors, and they're kind of making marks and, and seeing what they observe. Are there other ways to really measure this so that it's quantifiable which leader might be more uh, have more potential than another? Well, we quantify it uh, based on we have a number of factors under each people acumen and business acumen that we're measuring, and we have them defined and basically 
quantified in terms of illustrative behavior. And the two assessors have to come to concurrence on the rating for each one of those factors. So it's qualitative, but it turns into quantitative and the reliability is pretty high, as is the predictability. So I know you've done this type of work as a consultant, as a you know provider coming in and working with companies. Can companies do this on their own? You know, do you need a certain level of, of certification or expertise to do this type of assessment? Or you know, for people listening, thinking I'd like to do something like this, we probably don't have a budget to bring in a, a big consulting company. What can they do? That's a great question. Unfortunately, the answer is sort of half and half. Okay. That in order to build simulation like the ones I'm describing, the expertise required is dramatic. I mean, again, to go back, when I was at Liberty, my manager said to me, who was the CEO, why can't we do this on our own? We've done all of this other curriculum on our own. Why can't we build the kind of simulation you're talking about? And I said, we cannot do it. I have a lot of smart people, but there's a certain expertise there. So from the standpoint of the instrument itself, i.e. the simulation, you pretty much have to bring in someone to help you do that. And it's always, as you know, a partnership in terms of the organization, uh, working with the consulting organization to build the SIM so it mirrors the client organization. Now, on the other hand, the observation and assessment part can be partially done by the client, and it really enhances and gives credibility to the assessment. So we oftentimes will work with and train executives above the target audience to be the assessor, assessors, because we usually use two per team, and or we pair them with one of consultant like myself and one of their executives as the observer. So there's definitely an opportunity to get the client perspective there, and we really urge that look for it, want it. And many of our clients do partner with us or we provide, we train them and then we orchestrate that situation through the assessment. Does that answer that question for you? Yeah, that's great. I mean, there's there's some things people can do, but if you want to get really sophisticated with it, you're, you're probably going to need to bring in some outside help. You've had this research out there for a little bit now, not a long time, um, but I know you've been sharing it through some sessions and maybe there's been a webinar or two. What's been the reaction so far from people at companies? <laughs> well, frankly, I, I've been very <laughs> happy with the, uh, and surprised at the response because, you know, in this day, day of big data, agility, all of these factors that are impacting the speed, and you come up with something that's simpler than people typically think of, you think you're going to get a reaction that's, hey, this isn't up to speed enough. This isn't complex enough. And happily enough, the reaction has been very positive. We've put these factors into a formula form uh, that people have been intrigued with, because if we continue to do the research on this, because now we're looking for early adopters to use this, identify a target role or target level that they want to deal with, use the variables we're talking about, work with them and defining them, customizing them to their organization, and basically collecting data that will be positive for them, but also bring this point of view of this model, if you will, to life. So been very pleased. We had a session in New York. We brought in 40 clients 
potential clients and I pitched this for 45 minutes to an hour. They were very engaged. They asked great questions and the feedback afterwards as we chatted was, was positive. And we have some of them talking about being early adopters. And Richard has, uh, has also taken it out on the road, so to speak, and has gotten a very positive reaction. Yeah, and Richard has been great. I've been bringing him in into some discussions with some of my clients and potential clients who are building new hypo programs. And uh, they've been delighted with what they hear from him because he has so much more information to share, so much research you know, from both of you. And uh, yeah, quick plug, anybody listening, who, if you're building a hypo program or thinking about it, reach out to me. Uh, because there's a lot of great ideas we can share in, in putting those together. So it sounds like you're getting a very positive reaction. Where does this research go from here, Rich? You, so you talked about getting more quantitative with it. Well, as we said, we, I'd like to get some early adopters and then bring all of the criteria to life in this early adoption stage, measure it, see how effective it is, see what we have to, to change, test the kind of simulation and instruments because we need, we have some instruments under development to get at self-awareness and aspirational mindset. Those are basically self-report, maybe partially interview. Then we have simulations for various levels. The, the initial reaction, frankly, has been wanting to use it at the executive level. In other words, those who have high potential leadership capability for that senior level, the C-suite level. Frankly, I would love to see someone want to do this looking at their frontline managers' potential to be middle managers. Now, the reason I'm saying that is your first question was, what are some of the problems? And the problems are a dearth of bench strength at the executive levels, right? And so people say, well, why do we have that? We have this high potential program. We do this. We do that. But you started so late as opposed to looking at those who are of high potential in frontline management and then fostering their development from there on up, your pool is going to become so much greater. But we tend to ignore frontline and even middle to some degree, and we don't start doing the assessment and identification of high potential until later. So Richard talked about that as some of the executives wanting to do high potential for all. It's not exactly that but it's starting looking at and fostering development at a broader and lower level is what, what I think could be very helpful for organizations. Very cool. And not as expensive, back to your earlier point. Yeah. So, right, it could be a big investment, but I would imagine, you mentioned it's expensive. You've been on the other side, right? And so sometimes it's easy to look at this and say, wow, this is a big investment. Why would we do something like this? What's the big reason? What's the value? What return would I expect from maybe investing in something like this? There are a number of returns. First of all, the fact that it's going to be more highly predictive, the chances of putting the right person in the right role is much greater, and their ability to fast track to high performance is going to be much greater versus putting someone in a role and having them flounder and or fail. In other words, long time to get to the moderate performance level or literally fail. That's a two-year process at this senior level. We, we don't make those determinations. So one is avoiding those situations. Two is that when you put some cadre of high potentials through and that cadre has been well-screened, 
and putting them into this kind of exercise, it's in a very strong development opportunity for them. In other words, they learn a lot. It's not like taking a test. It's interactive. And then it's much more actionable from the standpoint of their continued development. So you get the benefit of it being predictive, more highly predictive than other tools, and then being actionable in terms of development, in terms of being very focused and being able to accelerate people's development. So those are the three most significant benefits of the investment. As I said, if you go start to do this at the lower level, the investment is not as great. You can do more people, and I think you ultimately get more bang for the buck, and you build a process where you, you continue to interject these assessments at the right time, and then you're just getting much greater predictability and much greater benefit for the individuals from a development standpoint and accelerating their development, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's great. And I believe we have that research available to anybody who wants to go access it, right? They just they can go to our website to the free resources on the Advantage website, and it, it's there with uh, some of the other stuff that we talked to Richard Hodge about. Exactly. And those two white papers go hand in glove. Oh, excellent. So yeah, if you just go to the talentdevelopmenthotseat.com or advantageperformance.com, there's a tab called free resources. And uh, there is something called identifying and developing high potential leaders. And there is a three-part webinar series. And the third one is on uh, new ways to define and measure potential. Just a couple more questions for you, Rich, uh, about your career. Uh, what would you say has been, you've had a long career working in a lot of different places. What would you say was your greatest accomplishment, thing you're most proud of? Oh, boy. That, that's a tough question. <laughs> because you have to understand, I've been in this business a long time. Yeah, I always say, every time I retire, I say, you know, I had the opportunity to work with the greatest large company in the world to start with the Marine Corps. And with BTS, it was the greatest small company in the world. But I guess BTS represents an accomplishment from a sort of, let's call it an entrepreneurial standpoint. Building something that didn't exist was one person. When I started, when I left, it was 25 people and uh, a significant component of the revenue. And not only was it people in revenue, but the quality of what they were generating, the importance to the organization in terms of fit, making it a more comprehensive talent-related organization, well, it was a pretty significant accomplishment for me, and it was fun. I have to say that it was uh, working with young people like yourself, smart and uh, technologically savvy, was a great experience for me, and it was a terrific way to uh, end a long career, although I guess it's not ended since Richard Hodge has me doing some work now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there you go. Another young. Is, is he younger than you or older than you? Oh, he's younger than I am. He's younger than you. So another young person making you do more work, right? (laughs) Flip side, what was one of your biggest failures or mistakes and what did you learn from it? Oh, one mistake was taking a job that I knew better uh, about Mm. and that it was a few years in that role that uh, we're not happy. So it was not looking at a, organization as deeply as I should have before I took the role. I was enamored with the uh, the size of the role and the complexity and all of that, but I didn't look closely enough at the role. So uh, it mm. was a failure on my part to uh, 
do what would have been consistent with my, let's call it my values and what would have yeah. been in terms of picking that uh, role. But uh, I survived it, learned a little and moved on. It sounds like you were offered this big job and uh, you were enamored by it, so you didn't do enough research. It sounds like you may have also had a gut feel that it wasn't the right thing, but you still took it anyway because it just... You know, I had a gut feel, and interestingly, my wife had a gut feel. And she goes, Richard, it was too late. (laughs) (laughs) You already had taken it. But she knew it wasn't the right one for you either. She knew it was the right one, so it tells you something. Yeah. You've all made those mistakes. And for other people listening who are maybe earlier in their career and they're going to get those opportunities coming their way, you know, what advice would you give them based on that? Yeah, don't be enamored with, with all of the thrills, if you will. Make sure the people you're working with are those you're going to want to spend time with. And not only your peers, your direct reports, but take a look at senior management. Are their values or the way they do business, is that commensurate with the way you want to do business? Because if it's not, you're not going to change them very readily. There are things you can change, but some you can't. And you need to be cognizant of that. So people represent the key in terms of, I think, job satisfaction. If you have people you enjoy working with, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, makes sense. I love that lesson. Um, Rich, I know you've studied a lot of things over the years and maybe read a lot of books. Uh, is there one book that has been really impactful for you or that you recommend more than others? Or just one that you want to recommend today? Oh, geez. I'm reading, uh, there's a Secretary of Defense that just left was the Marine Corps General. Oh, right. Anyway, I'm reading his book uh, on three levels of leadership, which the military context to it is great because he comes up with three different kinds of leadership, operational, strategic, and it's sort of global or enterprise-wise. I forgot the title he uses, but the breadth and scope of the three distinguish the three types of leadership. So I'm just into that. So just because of the context, I enjoyed it. And I guess to go back to my age, I like Jock Drucker's work. I'd recommend any of what he wrote I mean, he puts management into context. I've forgotten the one that I was just talking actually to my son about the other day when he talks about the scope of a manager's role and when they move from a supervisor to a manager and to a leader, what distinguishing those. So there's this old Drucker's old Drucker work, I think, is great. And the other is for those who are interested in assessment, the 20-year management study by Doug Bray when he was at AT AT&T is a classic. And so if you want to read about somebody that did this thing thoroughly, use simulations and all kinds of other instruments, if you're an assessment buff, that's a good one. I love that. And uh, Rich, we already talked about the lesson that you learned from that uh, job you took. Uh, Is there one more piece of advice you would give to people in talent development who are looking for ways to, you know, be successful and accelerate their careers? Don't look for the latest trend. Really try to look closely at your business. I think understanding your business as a talent person is really important. Being able to talk with your colleagues, with your senior executives about the business, the challenges that are representing and be able to extract from those what the development and talent opportunities are 
is important. So talking their language, keeping things simple, not becoming abstract. Again, in the white paper, we talk about the, the level of complexity of so many models. They don't resonate with executives. So you have to learn to, one, talk their language, come up with ideas that resonate. And if you do, those ideas will typically be more effective because you're just using the kind of common sense foundational approach that I think we all should take. Yeah, that's so important. Something we've talked about a lot on this podcast and uh, you'll appreciate I had uh, Susan Burnett on the podcast a while back and she talked about the importance of you know HR and talent development, truly understanding the business to be a good business partner. And that interview uh, is now one of our top most downloaded episodes. It might be number two now. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to Susan Burnett talking about how the importance of understanding the business. And uh, it sounds like that served you well as well, Rich. Well, I, I don't have to go back and listen to the, con- to the podcast because Susan and I worked together. We went into a number of potential client situations. We've had that discussion a number of times and she does know the business. She yep. sharp as can be and can talk financials with anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Rich, we've already mentioned that people can go to our website, uh, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com to get the uh, free resource on the webinar series. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, richard.dapra at bts.com. So I haven't changed my, as you tested the other day, I haven't changed my email address. I have a Gmail account, but since I'm so close to those folks, I just kept it that way. Yeah, I love it. It's almost like uh, you're like honorary. You get to keep that email address forever for doing such great work. It's like a retired number in a stadium. <laughs> well, or thanks. It makes me emeritus. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rich, this has been great. Thanks for coming on and sharing your research. It's always been interesting for me, and I'm sure it has been for our listeners as well. So thanks again for coming on the podcast. Andy, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for asking. Take care and good luck. All right. Take care. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.